Hello, 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 and welcome to Cancri, home of Canada's, oh, I'm just going to move that a little close to me, home of Canada's Queen Major, and uh, I am joined by Sebastian. How are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you doing? I am doing okay. I think that uh, Toronto has planted those trees that make me sneeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those trees. Uh, of, of all the trees in the world that release vast amounts of pollen, they, they yeah. planted those ones. So I was, you know, out in the bush this weekend. I was amongst trees. Mm -hmm. I, well, I wasn't really in the bush. I was out uh, in, in Castlemon, if anyone knows where that is. Like, rural Ontario. And uh, I have been places where there are trees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I am usually fine. Come mm -hmm. to Toronto and there is something about the trees here that just make me sneeze. And, you know, we talked about this before, that in mm -hmm. there was a period of time where municipalities were like, oh, we need to plant trees. Let's all plant the same exact tree uh, everywhere so no, that when it that was, uh, tree... Or pollinates you're done arboreo sexism is uh the the I, I think that's what they called it because uh or, or uh, botanical sexism or something but anyway they, they only planted male trees because um many but not all trees actually have distinct male and female flowers uh the thing is that the female flowers turn into fruit and the male flowers turn into pollen and the female flowers they just didn't want to clean up all those cherries or walnuts or whatever covering the streets so they only planted male flowers all throughout the 80s and 90s. And uh, and then uh, major cities all across North America just became pollen hell holes in the summer. And uh, a while ago, they started saying, maybe we need to reverse this and, and start getting a little bit more of uh, sexual diversity with, with the trees that we're planting in the city cores. Because like in the, in the countryside, it's not a big deal because... The, the female trees are specifically designed to capture and filter all that pollen out of the air. That's mm -hmm. what they do. Mm -hmm. That's because it's, that's that's tree sperms flying yep, through the yep. air. So it is it is tree sexism, mm -hmm. uh, which is to blame for inner city pollen counts. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm if I start sneezing, uh, that is why it is. Mm -hmm. I blame the tree sexism now yes. uh this past weekend we saw the largest pride in the country happen toronto pride um and it was uh, it went off broadly speaking without a hitch which is excellent news that I, I haven't heard of toronto pride going off without a hitch in a while i know uh there was no hate crimes that we were made aware of or that we mm -hmm. could find uh, on any reporting uh nobody was uh oh you know protesting. When, when i think of toronto going off with a hitch <laughs> it's not hate crimes it's usually uh internal issues collapse you know large yeah, scale yeah, yeah. Fraud, or, cetera, or uh, yeah. celebrity guest of honor main stage performers just not showing up so the opening act has to go on for an extra hour or uh, i'm sure with things like that porta potties. yeah 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 <laughs> well we if they, if they went off without a hitch then i am delighted yeah, so this is great news that yeah. the largest Pride event in the country appears to have been a lovely time. Ooh, which, a lovely time. You know, which is excellent. So, I yeah. like a lovely time. Lovely times lovely. Are, are lovely. Yes, exactly. Yes. What did you get up to this weekend? I had surgery. Oh, oh, that's a, that's a lot. That is a yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, on Thursday, I went in to see an ophthalmologist. That's an eye health doctor not an optometrist they measure your eyes for glasses 
And they said, uh, yeah, I have uh, I have conditions that you normally only see in 80-year-old ladies. I had four holes in my retinas and a retinal tear. Oof. And so they got out a big laser, and uh, they said, so what we're going to do is we're going to stick your retina, like fix it to the back of your eye so that it doesn't detach using this laser. At which point it occurred to me they were going to cauterize my retinas against my eye. So yeah, that's that's what I did, and it was basically like, okay, sit in this chair. We're gonna put eye drops in your eyes so they get as wide as possible. Look as far to the left as you can. Don't move. Uh, we're gonna shine this like winter high beam light straight into your face, and then we're gonna shoot your retina with the lasers. And by the way, don't blink and keep perfectly still. Yeah, no, I would have come out of that with two missing eyes. I think. Yeah, that yeah, it was the yeah. most. Hor it was genuinely the most painful, most horrible experience of my life. And afterwards, I was like, "That was horrible." And the doctor was like, "Actually, you handled it pretty well." So, whatever. That's what I did with my weekend. My Jeez. eyes are already slightly better. So, well, that's good. That's yeah. good. You know, as you yeah, know, I have falling helps. apart disease. You do. You are also one step shy of being a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's there's a lot going on, but I'm glad that you are on the mend. Now, on to gay news. I also discovered, by the way, I only just discovered this recently, my left eye and right eye have different degrees of colorblindness. Huh. So, you know that, that towel in your bathroom where I was confused as to whether it was tangerine or lime? Yeah, it's beige. It's, my right eye is colorblind. My left eye isn't. I just need to close my right eye from now on. Uh, who knew that that was a thing? So, yeah. More you know. More, the you, more know. you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the gay news, because there okay. has been quite a bit of it that has happened. Oh, yes. The big one that came out uh, just now, and I'm going to sneeze because of the trees. Mm-hmm. Oh, blasted trees. Oh. So, Anderson Lee Aldrich, uh, mm -hmm. and this is the one and only time I'll be saying his name on air, uh, has pled guilty to 53 charges for... Oh, my God, I'm going to sneeze again. Oh, no, I'm good. Uh, mm -hmm. 53 charges, including uh, five for first-degree murder. Uh, initially, Aldrich was facing 305 criminal charges for the uh, mass, mood, um, mass, mooding, mass shooting at the Q nightclub uh, in, I want to say, Orlando. Um, Colorado Springs? No, it wasn't Colorado Springs. I'm pretty sure it was, it was Colorado in, Springs. Oh, it was Colorado Springs. I've been corrected. <laughs> um, but yes, it was the Q nightclub, and uh, it was the most horrific mass shooting uh, of the gay community on record uh, in mm -hmm. the States, which I think effectively makes that of the world. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so he has pled guilty to the 53 charges. Um, so yeah, 46 charges of attempted first-degree murder. Uh, two bias-motivated crime charges and uh, the five uh, first-degree attempted merger charges as mm -hmm. well. So this is, I suppose this is good news that he's pled guilty. It, it, it is much more, going to be much more pleasant, well, not pleasant, but a less unsavory time for the victims of well, the, the Q mass shooting. the survivors and the yeah. family of the survivors. Exactly, yeah. yes. The complication, and this is something that people are talking about, is um, the accounts of bias-motivated crime when the shooter actually identifies as non-binary and prefers they-them pronouns, uh, but is not going to contest that charge, basically, 
on the premise of what's that going to do? Like life in prison is life in prison. That mm-hmm. that'll just shave off a little bit less life in prison, and still be life in prison. But there is, um, I don't know. Th- this is more of a legal issue than and, and an American law, specifically a Colorado state law issue, about uh, bias motivated crime when somebody from that community is the perpetrator of that crime. Uh, no answers. Uh, I have no idea how to process this information or what to do with it, but it is definitely um, kind of a thing that's being asked about uh, legal system. Um, there's actually a, a, a court hearing here in Canada. Have you heard about the Bill Wilcock case? Another one? Yes. Yes. He's... Well, this is an ongoing uh, version, not version, an ongoing case that was started about a year ago, but the closing arguments have started because some of these like very large court cases can take a very long time. Yeah, so just uh, for our audience sake, the, the reason why I said, and another one, yeah. is Bill Watcott, uh, who is, well, frankly, is an extremist. I think that's not an, un, an unreasonable thing to say. He yeah, is, I, I usually hesitate to apply that term because it gets thrown no, around no, he these is days, an extremist. like popcorn, but no, he is one. Yeah, no, yeah even, even I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're looking no. up jurisprudence on like the, the 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 case law on hate crimes, most of them have his name on it. A lot so, of them. Yeah, yeah, it it is. He is just an outrageous man that thinks that uh, it's his way or the highway, um, and uh, everyone else who he doesn't agree with be damned. So yeah, what has Bill Watcott done this time? Well, it is a. It is a countersuit that started quite some time ago, basically saying that if you criticize the act of gay sex, that should not be taken by the legal system to be equivalent to advocating for the eradication and genocide of gay men. That basically, like, you can criticize gay male sex without necessarily assuming that that is an advocation for mass murder. Um and uh, a lot of the, the court cases really focused around freedom of expression and does A really lead to B? You can, you know, do you have the right to criticize people for their for their actions? How much of that criticism is tied to an identity or a community? Um, it is kind of interesting from my perspective because, uh, well, I mean, from uh, uh, possibly our perspective, you might agree with me on this. Um, the community itself criticizes the community itself a great deal for for how it, it performs Hello sex and, and, welcome and sexuality back to in the community is a hotly debated topic. So this is the kind of thing we don't put on air just because it's it's uh, flowery, it's not really news, it's kind of vague and philosophical and pretty crass. It's hard to talk about it without getting into weird details. Um, but yeah, the, the Crown is still in the process of uh, going through appeals and at this point in time um the court of appeals has given the uh the group representing uh Whatcock to um intervene with an appeal so that that it's the appeals are ongoing and it's it's a weird court case that is still happening Jeez. Still but yeah happening. he's always pushing the the very 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 limits of free, uh, free speech in canadian mm-hmm. law uh hands down so the fact that he's yeah. challenging this one uh, is you know at the end of the day uh, free speech is an incredibly important thing uh, as broadcasters that often speak our own mind um you know it's uh, we certainly value that yeah um i think but you know you come up against reasonable limits you know uh, fire in a crowded theater is a good one 
a mm -hmm. good example. But yeah, there, there has to be reasonable limits, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a, a, a crazy. Well, I mean, I, I'm a big supporter of the 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 assertion that if you're not willing to support the speech of someone you hate, then you shouldn't have your speech protected. Uh, and I say that just because, like. Um, the protests in the 60s, 70s, and 80s for equal rights and for the decriminalization of homosexuality was allowed. It was permitted by a system that allowed, that had free speech. Now, again, you're talking about what are the limits. I mean, something that I think is absolutely sacrosanct, the core, the origins of free speech is a citizen's right to criticize the government without... Um, government intervention without state intervention kind of goes back to the french revolution and all that you know there's a lot of places in the world right now where you cannot criticize the government and get away with it um putin's russia and erdogan's turkey are kind of known for that um but i mean that i think everyone can agree on that and then after that you start getting out into the the weeds a little bit about where are the limits and I don't know. I, I think in this case, as much as I think uh, if you're willing to get on a soapbox with a air horn and just blast out to in the public square that you think gay sex is gross, I think you are kind of a, a depraved of an individual who really needs a hobby. But I mean, if the court case is, is that the, the same as advocating for the eradication of all gay people from the face of the earth? I don't think so. I think it's just bad taste. Um, yeah. I think it can lead to that. I think you can bury implications in that, but then that's a separate issue. Yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how this unfolds for sure to kind mm -hmm. of get a better sense of... of um, I should also correct myself. This is at the Ontario level. This is not at the federal level. Okay. But he's being sued probably in every province at this point in time, so it's kind of hard to keep track of the guy. So I did want to say um, there was an interesting debate happening with the LGBT community in Britain. The LGBT awards, the British LGBT mm -hmm. awards, uh, happened with a special award for Paula Grady. I think Paloma Faith just won something there as well. Uh, Paula Grady got a posthumous award. Uh, but it received, it was all over the news for a very different reason. Um, the uh, Celebrity Ally Award went to Canadian Catherine Ryan. So a nice little Canadian connection there uh, that she got the Celebrity Ally Award. Um, mm -hmm. But just before this event unfolded, it emerged that... Uh, oh, oh, I've lost my... Tr I've lost where I was pulling it from. Um, there was a lot of backpack... Uh, backpack? A lot of backlash there we go mm -hmm. much more much makes more sense than backpacks there were so many backpacks no it was there was a lot of backlash there we go to the fact that bp was uh, bp and shell were two major sponsors of the lgbt awards oh uh, pink washing so bp for those who aren't familiar is british mm. petroleum uh, mm -hmm. which is the major British uh, gas company or, or fuel company. And then Shell, I believe, is Dutch. Whether or not they still are British and Dutch, God only knows. They are mm -hmm. massive uh, you know, international corporations. Um, but anyway, they were, um, they were uh, uh, losing people left, right, and center as soon as they realized that BP and Shell were uh, uh, sponsors for it, including the host, Sue Perkins, uh, oh, Super Kins, I love Super uh, Joe Lysett dropped out. Uh, Sean Fay, the uh, Cheddar Gorgeous, and Davina DeCampo um, mm. all rejected their nominations over it. They were losing people all over the place. 
uh, mm-hmm. as a result of this. And it was a really interesting moment because obviously being recognized nationally is, is incredibly important. Um, but a lot of these celebrities, and let's be honest, it was an event to recognize various celebrities, um, mm-hmm. took that opportunity to acknowledge that they don't want to be uh, involved in an organization uh, bankrolled by major you know, uh, energy companies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, it's uh, not just away. major energy companies. It's major any multinational corporation that's slapping a rainbow over their logo at this time of the year and the rest of the year they're they're perpetuating human rights violations and massive destruction of the environment over the rest of the planet it's sort of basically like uh using the community as a shield to make themselves appear uh more let's see socially conscious than they actually are it's just you know you, you pay a little bit of money here make yourself look good um look at the sparkly thing in my left hand don't pay attention to my right hand um i have no doubt that some of these multinational organizations that do put a rainbow flag over their logo but but only in august actually probably do care and are not doing massive human rights violations in other countries but uh it is it gets very dark when you start looking into it how many of these companies absolutely do they they are 100 percent using the community as a pawn to make mm-hmm. themselves look like they have worthwhile esg scores and not you know they're, they're not nightmare companies basically well i'm not gonna on the record say that bpo shell is a nightmare company because uh, they might sue me but uh <laughs> <laughs> you know you're right the idea of uh, pink washing where you know, they hide behind uh, some good mm. press all right uh let's jump in a minute we're gonna be jumping into an interview i did around a fantastic art installation over at uh, fort york uh, in uh, in Toronto, I realize a lot of folks may not be able to get to it, but if you are visiting Toronto this summer, uh, please go and check it out. There's an art installation about private flowers, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll be playing that interview in just a minute. But before we do that, I'm going to play a song that isn't Canadian. It's okay. probably Australian, uh, but it's a Kylie Minogue number, and uh, it's Padam Padam. And it okay. has become the gay anthem of the summer. It is she has done for this year's Pride what uh, Lady Gaga has on multiple occasions uh, done for for many prides. It's this is essentially uh, the soundtrack to Pride this summer is Padam Padam. Padam has already entered the Urban Dictionary as a word um, as a result of the meteoric rise in the gay community. And Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people commenting. They're like, wow, you know, Kylie Minogue is everywhere with this song. Uh, And it turns out it's primarily just in gay circles. Um, She, you know, like everyone in the queer community is uh, mostly aware of Padam Padam, which I'll play in a moment. Uh, But it's starting to bleed through. She leapt into... I think she's number seven in the UK charts right now, uh, maybe around there somewhere, but uh, really skyrocketed. We love Kylie Minogue. Uh, she mm-hmm. has reached a number 10 hit uh, every decade in the last five decades. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent track. Anyway, this is Padam Padam uh, in recognition of the, you know, the Toronto Pride, New York Pride, San Francisco Pride, Dublin Pride. Uh, all of the prides that happened this past weekend, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of which went on and happened uh, peacefully, which is always a moment to celebrate. So this is Padam Padam by Kylie Minogue, and after that, an interview around the Private Flowers art installation. Mm-hmm. 
Hello and welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. Uh, as mentioned uh, earlier in the show, I was very excited to be able to talk about this particular piece. I saw the trailer for this uh, this installation. Uh, my incredible uh, roommate in Toronto was able to show it to me. But we have Howie on the on the line. Uh, do you want to tell folks, uh, our, our listeners? Uh, what this piece, Private Flowers, is about and why they should head over to Fort York uh, to check it out. And maybe we'll dive a little bit into the, the history just after that. Sure, of course. I think um, a big part of Pride is obviously, you know, a festivity. It's it's to celebrate the the history that we and the resilience that our communities have. But I think you know, the, the meaning of pride has been lost in the last few years. And we forget that we have these under honored stories in our past that we, you know, had the had the freedom of standing on their shoulders. So I found out in the process of creating private flowers that in 1832, a Canadian infantryman, his life was taken at Fort York, and he was found with another man. And there's a beautiful poetry in this story that this Canadian infantryman was a private and his name was Flowers. And I love that idea that we're playing with the sort of unspoken private moments within the Canadian military. I think, you know, it, there's, a, there's a history of queerness in naval and military history that is a bit taboo we're not allowed to talk about this thing. And so it, it was a great um, exploration, exploring privacy through something as kinesthetic and visceral as dance. You know, they often, people will often say in art, when you can't, when you can no longer speak, you sing. And when you can no longer sing, you dance. And I love that analogy that we can explore this history in a really, poetic, lyrical art form. So just for our, our audience's benefits, uh, my understanding is that uh, Private Flowers in the, I think you said it was 1832, uh, was essentially put to death for for being found with, uh, with another man. Uh, do we know what happened to the other man? We don't know, and I've I've tried to glean as much information as I could. Um, you know, I I was very fortunate to have the expertise of Gary Kinsman, and Gary, you know, is an incredible activist, LGBTQ plus scholar, um, and he, you know, he's a senior member of our community. But even the research he has done in his book that I read called "The Regulations of Desire." There's, you know, there is limited information on, on the other parties. I know that between 1800 and 1830, there were approximately, it's insane, something like 80 documented cases of criminal charges and subsequent hangings related to sodomy and buggery. And, you know, this highlights uh, what I think is a prevalent belief during that time that engaging in homosexual acts disrupted the established social hierarchies based on rank and, and class. So even to receive was worse than giving. Like it, it, it mm -hmm. there's this an 
hate racism in a way and classism and and in response the canadian government and army actively implemented measures to regulate and suppress such desires really reflecting the broader societal attitude towards homosexuality which was actually those terms came out of that period homosexual heterosexual and um and so like having that research it was really helpful and a, a, an incredible context to dive in and you know as i was saying there's limited information even on his cultural heritage so i think part of my including an indigenous man and a black man serves as a really illuminating portrayal of the presence of BIPOC people during that time. We were there and mm -hmm. we either, you know, passed as white in order to survive and, you know, as well as black and people of color who were subjugated to the same disdain as those who were involved in what I call criminal acts of love. Absolutely. And I think that your your choice in the performers for this dance, uh, sort of telling that story of private uh, private flowers, um, really makes the audience of today pay that much more attention, I think. You kind of really sort of hit the nail there in terms of uh, making the audience sort of think, wow, you know, this really was uh, was horrific. I think you're right in touching on that very often it was those in uh, on the uh, the receiving end of the relationship, let's say, that were particularly demonized. Uh, and I think there's a significant amount of misogyny that happened around that time around uh, demonizing of what were perceived as uh, effeminate, uh, uh, the feminization of, of men in, in those uh, scenarios. Um, this is such a undiscussed era of history. You know, a lot of people seem to think that uh, gay history uh, briefly happened with Alexander the Great, and then not much happened until 1960. <laughs> so to have something kind of really pointing and drawing attention, you know, the, the instances of homosexuality have existed uh, all through history. Um, but yeah, when you found 80 of them, like that's that's quite uh, quite incredible. And I think really sort of brings to the fore that this is a piece of Canadian history um, that uh, that wanted to speak. So what inspired you to create this project to kind of visualize this unwritten piece of Canadian history? You know, I think it's sort of related to what you were saying about the Alexander the Great. There's I had a, a very keen interest in looking at queerness through antiquity. And there are a few, you know, there are very few cases. And one of them being, you know, a very famous Hadrian the Emperor, which um, my husband, Peter Hinton, recently did the the opera of Hadrian at the Canadian Opera Company. Like the stories like that, I had gone into other histories of Patroclus and Achilles in the Trojan War. Again, not historical, a myth, but we're blurring those lines constantly with histories and myths. So I was interested in looking at the history of that, which ultimately um, naturally funneled down to this Canadian history. 
And I, um, it's, it was so serendipitous that about five months into developing this work with Toronto History Museums, we had a, a devised work through the National Ballet. I went to Guelph University and found out that the year I was born, my husband, an artist like uh, Damon De La Vera, who's, you know, we all know from Book of Negroes, Elisa Palmer, who, um, you know, Falling Your Knees, all of these artists in their emergence did a show called Taboo, A Sexuality, which was about this same history. And it was mm. so moving to me to know that these this story in a way had like chosen me to, to take it one step further. And when I found this out, you know, my husband was very tight lipped about it, but he was like, yeah, like you're taking it one step further than we could. And I, and, and, and it just points to this thing that I started off by saying that we stand on the shoulders of people that I think we've forgotten. And, um, and I think that's part of pride is remembering who we're, who allowed us to be here today. Yeah, I mean, there are there are names that are uh, sort of ingrained into the sort of collective uh, Canadian memory, mostly American names like Harvey Milk and so on and so forth. But it's there are thousands, tens of thousands of of lives that were cut short. Uh, by decisions of government and uh, decisions of of the state and people enforcing that, um, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's a dark history. One of the things that you mentioned right at the start around you know sort of the queerness in the navy and you know we think about the Second World War and and how uh, queer folks would keep up morale for the troops. You know the yeah. the first. The first, uh, you know, I don't know if our audience know this, but a really interesting anecdote is the emergence of leather culture in the gay community, you know, really stems out of uh, the motorcycle units of men in the Second World War. So bringing some of those pieces back and mainly bringing pilfered pieces of German uniform, which were tailored and and leather and and beautiful and (laughs) well-made back with them and creating this subculture that remains in the community even today you know it's queerness uh and how we express ourselves today has so many of these roots and i wanted to bring it up in the context of you know the bonds that are made you know we think of history through the lens of you know victories and losses but they are often large movements of men that that make these these moments in history happen and when you have large movements of men there's gonna be a homosexual <laughs> you know what i mean and you in your email when we were talking in advance of this you emailed me and you were talking about the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb um, and that's i think where i'm sort of gravitating towards how much did that particular often misquoted quote uh, um align with when you were putting this together Yeah, it's so apt that this idea of blood is thicker than water, as you know, we've, we've said it it is so misunderstood to mean that the blood of family is more important than anything else. And it's something that had come up, um, you know, 
not to talk about past things that are, are that are um, have since been uh, reconciled. But when I met my husband, it was a term that was thrown around by my family, and I was going, "Blood is sicker than water," but what's the water? <laughs> and and this idea of the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb suggests that you know the the blood of our brother in battle bonds us more than the waters of birth, which is so innately queer that, you know, so many, so many LGBTQ plus people have to find their families. And so I think in the context of private flowers, it, it was a discovery of how men find or seek solace in other men amidst war and, and, I don't know how many listeners have been to Fort York or they probably went there when they're in grade 10, when people do the school, when they do the tours, but to know that there were two men to a bunk in those mm-hmm. barracks, like you're telling me that stuff didn't happen. Come on. Like yeah. it, it happened. And, and the, the, the sad irony is I bet it was such an innocent act of what happened, what transpired. And yet someone's life, many men's lives were taken because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needs uh, intimacy, you know, and I think that in the eye of being away from home, being drilled and, and uh, you know, really put to work and, you know, even with the potential of conflict and risking your life, you know, the the need for human connection to those around you you know there was uh another digression here but we uh, we we reviewed an incredible book called gay straight and the reasons why which was a meta study of uh various biological and medical studies into why people may be gay and one of the theories of sexuality you know people are familiar with the kinsey scale which is like zero to nine and you know, it's based on your activities and sort of where your experiences land you on the spectrum. But there is another theory of sexuality that I uh, that has stuck with me that I think is fantastic. And it's on something like 19 various factors. And I'm not going to go into too much detail. But if you think about your sexual self when you're, you know, alone at night with your husband, how you express yourself sexuality is very different than when you're in a grocery store with your mother. Time and place, you know, has uh, has an impact on our sexuality. So when we think of boarding schools, when we think of, you know, uh, you know, uh, military barracks or prisons or large concentrations of large single gender occupancy, uh, you know, the rates of uh, instances of homosexuality uh, go up with it. So yeah, I think people are human, and I suspect that with two to a bunk, um, and all of the other factors, it is very unsurprising. And I think what brings me to that now, and I think this sort of circles back to your very intentional decision to cast an Indigenous man and a Black man, is that everybody knew homosexual acts were happening all the way through to the end of... uh, uh, the Canadian equivalent of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but it's the enforcement that was sporadic, like more than 80 people over those um, 
I think it was a 30 year period, uh, almost certainly did uh, activities. But, you know, maybe it was only 80 of them that were ratted out or caught um, or what have you. Do you think that I'm I'm curious if your intention around casting was tied to how persecution of homosexuality was often weaponized in history. Oh my gosh, of course. And and you know, often with in cases of artistic works, I find that like an impulse and my intuition, they're 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 playing catch up. And so some of these choices um will reveal themselves later and to audience members too. But I, I just, I, I wanted to bring all the intersectionalities of my experience I could. And, and it was wild to me that Rodney Diverlis and Jara Wolf, who were the two performers, incredible, um, what an incredible bondship we have together now. I feel so um, connected to them that um that we it, we uh, it was i'm at a loss for words of what i was saying but just knowing that they'd never collaborated together before like what a what a beautiful what a beautiful opportunity to us be in a space together and and live and breathe in these histories and also honor history but in a way um it, it's part of its revisionist too. Like we're, we're putting our little stamp on it. Well, I, I don't know if it, I mean, it certainly is revisionist. You mentioned earlier, just for our audience sake that we, you know, we don't know the, uh, the racial makeup of these, these 80 men that were, that were persecuted. But I think you're also doing a service here by raising the idea that, you know, our history has chosen what they felt was important to record and, and whose stories were important to to capture um yeah no i think i, I myself i'm gonna trek down to fort york and and, and check this out starting uh, i believe uh day of recording today june 23rd yeah. um so for everyone hearing this uh you know it's certainly still there go and check out fort york between june 23rd to july 2nd potentially longer i hear uh, if we get a, a, enough foot traffic out there. Now, for our listeners around the country, um, you know, who maybe aren't able to get out to Fort York, uh, is there a way that they can see the performance uh, online, maybe? That's what we're working on right now, is how is how that can be distributed uh, wider after its um, initial art installation. Because, the you know, the benefit of working in mixed media is it, yes, it's... An installation but it's a film too so there's been some interest from film festivals and yeah we're gonna we're gonna make sure that this can be seen and and the beauty of fort york's piece is it's free toronto history museums is free to the public so it's it's free knowledge which is wild so i i i in that spirit i'd like to keep it that way so it's not regulated to who gets to learn this information and who doesn't Excellent. Well, I am excited to go and see it. And uh, I saw a glimpse of the film and it looked incredible uh, of these two performers. Uh, thank you so much, Howie, for, for joining us. And I really hope that our audience goes and checks it out uh, as we pick through this really sort of hidden piece of Canadian history. We're going to jump to a track and we will be back just after this. <laughs> 
Welcome back to Cangway, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, I'm very excited because we are joined in the studio. Uh, people who tune in to CIUT in Toronto uh, will be long-time uh, listeners and fans of our next guest, Ken Stower. Thank you so much for joining us. Today. You're welcome. Good day. It's, yeah, I've adjusted you down a little yeah, bit. There we go. Because <laughs> 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 we're too loud. Now, the reason why we have Ken joining us, uh, we are going to get to uh, a whole whack of other gay news, including uh, Daegu, South Korea. Don't remind me not to forget about that. Um, as well as uh, Italy and Oslo and Moldova and all kinds of stuff later in the show. But before then, something that is very Canadian, very Toronto, uh, happened this past weekend and speaks to... The Incredible Jackie Shane. We were just listening to Sticks and Stones uh, by Jackie Shane. And uh, maybe this is a good opportunity to invite you, uh, Ken, to let us know why why is Jackie Shane a, a topic of conversation right now uh, in, in particular? Well, a long overdue recognition was provided uh, to Jackie Shane uh, this past Friday. The City of Toronto made a proclamation, Jackie Shane Day. And down at the original venue, which was known as the Sapphire Tavern, there was a heritage plaque unveiling to honor uh, Jackie Shane. Jackie Shane was born in Nashville, Tennessee in 1940 and uh, decided and, and knew at a young age, I say about the age of 13, that uh, she was a woman in a man's body and decided to live life as a woman. This did not necessarily go down that well in uh, racist uh, South uh, USA at the time and, and being a black person as well. So as a, an early adult, early aged adult moved to, I believe it was Boston, then to Montreal and found her way to Toronto in 1961 and set up 
uh, a performance and recording career here in the city of Toronto, along with a gentleman by the name of Frank Motley, also another ex-American, along with all his ex-American accompanying musicians. And Jackie Shane developed her show and uh, frequently played the Sapphire Tavern located at the corner of Richmond and Victoria Streets here in Toronto. And that's where the plaque uh, was uh, laid, the cornerstone put in this past Friday, Friday to honor Jackie Shane. You can imagine in the very boring, staid, conservative Toronto in 1961, this black trans performer uh, holding court at the Sapphire Tavern and other uh, venues here in the city of Toronto. But she monologued uh, al along on stage about her sexual identity and, and the like and had a tough time, of course, uh, but she had the confidence and had made the decision of who she was and the life that she was going to live. And uh, she remain, remained here in Toronto, I think it was up until about 1968, and then shortly thereafter disappeared, and uh, subsequently it wasn't until roughly 2015, 16, that the gentleman that runs the numero uno record label in the United States found Jackie Shane, as many were attempting to do, in Nashville. She had gone back to Nashville, Tennessee, and they put together uh, all of the reissued packaging of her material that she recorded, including the live recording from the Sapphire Tavern here in Toronto. A very significant uh, performer and recording artist here in Toronto who played a big role in what was later to be coined the Toronto Sound Show. So as I said, long overdue for the recognition and I'm so happy and uh, uh, glad that this was uh, initiative was taken uh, actually by Amanda Burke, who is a filmmaker, who has actually completed the documentary that will come out next year on Jackie Shane. Well, definitely lots to look forward. I know, Sebastian, that you and I have uh, showcased Jackie Shane a couple of times uh, uh, on the show as oh, a, a key a piece yeah. of uh, Canadian history. Um, I feel like we've, that's sort of been the unwritten theme of today's show is, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about private flowers in the 1830s, leapfrogging to the 1960s, uh, and uh, obviously talking about Toronto Pride from two days ago. So it's been a <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a time warp here on CIUT uh, and uh, other stations that carry the show. So it's been all over the place. But uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to get out there and... Uh, and uh, I believe you met uh, Jackie Shane's niece. Yeah, that was a very interesting thing. Uh, there was uh, a family member of Jackie Shane's that was at the unveiling of the plaque. And when she spoke at the podium, she announced to those in attendance that she lived three to four blocks away from Jackie Shane for 40 years, never knowing that Jackie Shane was one of hers. Wow. And uh, finally, she found out. Well, we know that Jackie Shane very much sort of disappeared into nothingness, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of very much uh, hid from from the limelight. Yep. Um, and I think that, that thankfully the world is is a different place now that uh, there are there's more space for musicians and others to to take time for themselves. Uh, Absolutely. Which is, yes. which is excellent. Actually, that reminds me, Oval Pack. Uh, has a gay country singer out of, uh, I want to say Alberta, is based out of Alberta, Canadian gay country singer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people were recognize him from his mask. He wears a, yep. a frilled, uh, not frilled, is it frilled? Oh, you're speaking Asthma. of uh, Orville Peck. Asthma. Yes. Um, yeah. He has postponed all of his summer shows. 
uh, he really announced on Instagram that uh, he took a moment and realized, you know, his mental health and physical health uh, is not great and uh, taking a step back. I think that's so important to do. Yes. And, and mm -hmm. kudos for him for, for taking his own health uh, seriously and, and uh, making that decision. But, yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, in 1960, 1970, that uh, it, it wasn't, there wasn't that same space available uh, to do that. Well, Jackie Shane, uh, uh, without a doubt, left uh, a, a legacy here in the city of Toronto, and I'm very thankful that a lot of people picked up uh, the load to make sure that she was remembered for all of the wonderful contributions that she made here. Excellent. Well, there are a number of uh, documentaries coming out soon on that one. Thank you so much, uh, Ken, for joining us to, to, to speak to that. You're welcome. Excellent. And uh, now moving on, I did want to quickly mention the National Hockey League has decided to pull their pride jerseys from, uh, from did you hear about this, Sebastian? Yeah, it's weird and complicated. So they're still going to make um, what they call political messaging jerseys, but they're not allowed to wear them when they're on the ice. So yeah, it's, it's still... the warm-ups for the games, you know, it's yeah, in, the in advance of the games, it's the warm-ups, it's, it's specifically that. Yeah, hockey is for hockey. They can still make jerseys. You can still sell them. You can still sign them. You can still use the team logo, but they will not be worn on the ice anymore. And when I read this, all I could think is this is the NHL jersey equivalent of either every flag can go up the flagpole or only the Canadian flag can mm -hmm. go up the flagpole. And I think they just sort of said, you know what, this is getting weird and complicated and we're just going to simplify it. Well, But I, because mm -hmm. they are allowed to do almost whatever they want off the ice so long as it, it's not too egregious i think this is a good middle ground where they're basically saying like yeah you can you can get your pride jerseys but we're not going to make anyone wear them on the ice anymore i think this is this is an okay compromise well i'm i'm a little bit more on the fence i i understand for nhl games the the warm-ups before the big games mm -hmm. i can see that you know they mm -hmm. want the focus to be on the game not yes. on who did or did not wear a certain, you know, uh, uh, jersey. Yeah, yeah. But I think that the teams should very much be able to, and I believe they are able to wear the uh, wear the, the, the these colors uh, in games that they do host outside of the NHL. So mm. if they're competing in a friendly or, or a practice or what have you, uh, yeah, it's yeah. an option. But I also I think this is a knee jerk reaction from you know it's 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 the same decision as Target. It's like oh no, there's pushback. Screw mm -hmm. it. Let's throw the toys out the pram, and uh, and now nobody gets to play in the. In I would a, say in this different is different though because you you can still get pride themed jerseys. They are still available, just not for every player. But it so, was I mean, it was more about the visibility and being seen. Mm. And it this seems to be a okay, well we've done that. Enough of that now. That's all been mm. done. Now nobody wears a jersey. I don't know. I think on the one hand I get it. It is a distraction. Mm. It, the story yep. has is escalated so far. But it is not a distraction from the gay community. The gay community mm -hmm. is like, wow, that's excellent. Thank you very much. Um, but the the uproar is coming from uh, very, very strongly opinionated people uh, who are not in the gay community. Like, mm -hmm. that is where the pushback's coming from. Now, I did promise, and I have about a minute to get this story in, uh, to talk about... Daegu, South Korea. Daegu, South Korea. Uh, yeah. This is excellent. This is an excellent story of... Uh, oh, that I could. So the mayor of Daegu, 
uh, is very concerned, among other things, that the festival, the essentially their equivalent of a Pride Festival, was going mm -hmm. to block the traffic on the road. How very dare they? Uh, whilst mm -hmm. at the same time as promoting unnatural sexualities. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the police of Daegu said, well, actually, no, it's fine. And the mayor is like, no, 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 please, let me tell you your job. Uh, yeah. You know, sit down. Uh, it is actually an obstruction to the roads. Mm -hmm. And uh, the police again were like, no, no, that's that's fine. So they took them to court because the, the municipality under the mayor refused to issue the, the permits. They took mm -hmm. it to the courts. The courts also said, no, no, this is fine. Freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, they're yep. good. And this mayor and about uh, two, three hundred of his staff still adamant that despite the courts and the police all saying it's fine, mm -hmm. uh, they were right and they were wrong. Uh, so they went and physically blocked access for these trucks to be able to set up for the Pride Parade. And the Daegu police force physically arrested and removed city officials out of the way so that this festival could take place. Ooh, this, this, the vibes this gives me is like 2009 when Iceland was the only country in the world that sent their bankers to jail. It, it's just, yeah, it uh, is astonishing. You very rarely see people in power seeing the exact same justice that your average person off the street would see for doing the exact same thing. Like, this is, this is, I mean, as much as it is a pride story, I think it's also kind of like an anti-corruption story. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I no, love it's it. A great this is one. a great story. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've run out of help, uh, sound. Oh, gosh. We've run out of time. We're time. playing I Got You by Send Help. That was a tongue twister. I've been Nick Smith. And I've been Sebastian. Thank you for listening. Hey.